Well, this morning is October 24th, and uh, Sunday morning. Our message this morning is the heavens, the earth, and under the earth. That's a phrase that occurs in the Bible on a regular basis, and so we're, we're going to examine kind of what that means. Did you all enjoy worship this morning? That's good stuff, huh? I want to share just a thought with you before we get into the Word. I was reading a letter that uh, somebody wrote to me. I was in the hospital here recently visiting my dad, and I was fairly bored at about 3 o'clock in the morning uh, when we couldn't sleep. And uh, in the letter, we described our relationship as that of blood brothers. Y'all remember seeing in movies or when you were little kids, two guys that are friends or two girls that are friends, however that works, they would take a pocket knife out and one would pierce their hand or thumb or something, the other would pierce their hand or thumb, and that would be a signing of a covenant between the two. They were friends for life. They had marked it with blood, right? Well, all of us are blood brothers this morning, whether you're male or female, except you didn't have to cut your hand, and I didn't have to cut mine. We're joined by the blood of Christ. And that gives us all things in common. That's why when people look at us and they go, wow, the way Matthew loves Eric, and Jennifer loves Cassidy, and David loves Justin, and Brad loves Gene, and Steve loves Eric, and all of those things, it looks like family. In fact, usually your natural family gets kind of jealous about it. I mean, that, that's a normal progression of things is because we're united by something stronger than just who you're descending from. And that is we have the same royal blood flowing through our veins. And before I leave that subject, it's not what we're preaching about this morning, but thinking about it in worship. God made the heavens and the earth, right? Y'all all know that. Genesis, Genesis says that. He made all of the creation, but He purchased you. See, the Bible speaks of Him making things, but it speaks of Him purchasing you. Now, my little boy here recently got on a roll. I'm bragging on him because he's in here. I mean, he, he did good. And I wanted to reward him, so I gave him some money for each grade that he made. And he got to think about what he would like to spend that on. And you know what? To a little boy, this $20 was a lot of money. And he could spend it on anything that he wanted to. Whatever he bought with that, and it happened to be a pocket knife, and you know all the women in here probably think I'm insane for letting him have that, but that was important to him, right? It's valuable. Pretty much as far as he's concerned, that's one of the most valuable things he has because he could spend it on anything he wanted, and that's what he bought. Think about how that relates to God. He made all the things in the heavens and the earth, but he bought you. The most precious substance on the planet, the most precious substance in the universe was his blood, and he shared that for you. So next time you look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, you remember that the God of the universe values you. Church people may not value you. Your neighbors may not value you. Your husband may not value you. But the God of the universe sees value in you because He shed the most precious thing He had to get you, to purchase you for Himself. Now, if that don't make you feel good, I don't know what would. Now, that's about... You know, I, I'm not uh, a motivational speaker. Uh, I don't write books about, you know, how to reveal the inner champion or whatever is in you. But I do believe in seeing you through the light of the Scripture. And when my mind lies to me, when it tells me I'm no good, when somebody else tells me I'm worthless, I remember that God Himself purchased me and that we are blood brothers. And you know what? All of a sudden I feel much better. Well, this morning our message is the heavens, the earth, and under the earth. 
And uh, in Philippians 2, we see a very important passage. So y'all go ahead and turn to that. Philippians is in the New Testament. And when you get to the New Testament, you want to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, Romans, and Corinthians. And then you move through the Pauline epistles, which are Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and then Colossians. So when you get to Philippians, we're going to be in the second chapter. And uh, for... Those that are in the Thompson chain, which I obviously like, that's what I use, and my friends that will be listening by CD that are in Thompson chain, this is going to be on page 1305. And uh, remember that the title here is Heavens, Earth, and Under the Earth. I want you to think about that for a second while you're turning. Heavens, Earth, and Under the Earth. That's kind of a strange phrase. Heavens you pretty much get, Right? We know what the heavens are. That's the sky. That's the starry realm. And that's the third place where God Himself dwells. The earth. We understand that. It's what we walk on every day. It's what the meek will inherit. It's the earth. It's the ball of dirt you're standing on right now. Okay? What is under the earth? You know, I never really thought about that an awful lot. The heavens, the earth, and under the earth. And it's a phrase that occurs in the Bible. We'll get into that. Y'all in Philippians 2? Starting in... Verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being (laughs) like-minded. Would you say the church has done a good job in being like-minded? The church is the most divided thing on the earth. And uh, that's sad. Uh, It's not, not heeding the words of Paul. But within this fellowship, we're going to start by being like-minded. If we differ on some point, we're going to allow God to show us where His favor rests, and we're going to work to be like-minded. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's quite a statement. It says, your attitude should be like that of Jesus who didn't consider, although He was equal with God, that's something to be grasped. He didn't have to show everybody how great He was. He came with the mission of showing everybody how great His Father was. And He became obedient, humbled Himself to look like a man. Now, why would that be humbling, to look like a man? Well, if you're the God that created the universe and you limited yourself to be a baby that had to have its diapers changed. That's pretty humbling, right? You limited yourself to be a young man going through puberty. That's, see, we don't think about Jesus in this way. In fact, our art depicts Him as some kind of strange alien-like creature that is so spiritual He's not a human being. That's not how the Bible teaches it. Not at all. He was a regular guy that was the perfect representation of His Father. It was humbling. Because he who was perfect had to look like something that was not all that perfect. And he humbled himself even to die a death that looked like the death of a criminal. Right? 
still hadn't got where we're going, though. I'm sometimes slow in that. I hope it doesn't bore you too much. Therefore, God exalted him. Why? What is therefore mean? Therefore means on the basis of what I've just told you. Because of what I've just told you, this happened. He said, therefore, because Jesus had humbled himself, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's how this principle works in Scripture and it's just as sure as the principle of gravity. How many of you doubt at all that if I stand on the roof at the top, the apex of the roof, and I step off, I'm going to fall and hit the ground? No, you've been taught through experience. You don't have to see it. You've been taught you don't see gravity at all. You see the effects of gravity, but you cannot see gravity. But you've been taught through experience how it works. Spiritual principles are no different. You can't see the wind, but you know that it exists because you see its movement. Well, I can't see God, but I know that He exists because I see His laws at work. I watch Him humble those that are prideful, and I watch Him raise up the humble to be in positions that He esteems. I encourage you, if you feel like you're in a humble position, God esteems you. I don't care if church people don't esteem you. They can pick on you for smoking. They can throw stones at you for drinking. They can look at your relationships and not like them. I don't care because God esteems you. And you know what's so funny? It doesn't matter how perfect you think you are in the church world. Just depending on the church you stop into, they find something they don't like about you. How many churches in the world would just have a heart attack I was standing here in blue jeans and not in a suit? I mean, and there are some that, oh my dear God, He has got facial hair. The world is coming to an end. You know? There are churches that handle snakes. I'm happy not to be one of those. You find every strange thing in the body of Christ, but that doesn't mean God approves of it. You know what God approves of? Your faith expressing itself in love to other people. That's what Jesus in you is supposed to be. Now that has nothing to do with the message, but that's where I feel like we needed to go. The heavens, the earth, and under the earth. This says that at the name of Jesus, everything in the heavens, that's way up there, everything on the earth, that's right here, and everything under the earth, the knees will bow, right? Now when he says everything, that leaves out nothing. We're talking about everything. But just in case you've had any doubt, I just want to be a little more clear before we get where we're going. In Revelations 5, it's actually Revelation, it's a singular Revelation. I have been taught that with great emphasis. The Apocalypse. I, I would just would change the language if you can't get it right in English. The way you find this book is easy. You take the last page of the Bible and then you work your way left because it's the last book of the Bible. So Revelation is the last book in the New Testament. If you're in the Thompson chain, we're going to be in Revelation 5. And Revelation 5 is on page 1368. Those of you that are not in the Thompson chain, if you hang around me long enough, you will be. And I tell you, it's not because Thompson chain's superior, it's just because it's what's familiar. Isn't that funny how human beings are? Whatever's familiar to us must be the best, right? We resist change of every kind. It's what makes us so hard to become good Christians. Because we figure whatever we've been doing is the way to do it, huh? Sometimes what you've been doing is dead wrong. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Hey, just uh, as a point of emphasis, as we get going here this morning, there's a sign above the door. 
And I put it above the door because I want you to know that if you sit in here and hear what I say, but walk out there and don't do any of it, we have totally wasted our time. We have done nothing but aggravate your gluteus maximus as you sit here. But if you sit in here and you learn to apply, if you perform out there what you've practiced in here, then the life-changing power of God will work through your life. And like yeast that is in dough, it will spread its way out into everybody that you have ever met. And you know what? I believe that 11 headstrong guys that have fallen in love with a king that uh, the world didn't receive can change the face of the planet. And if you don't think that's true, next time you write a check at Burger King or wherever you write a check, when you put a date on it, you're testifying to the fact that Jesus Christ came, lived on this earth, and changed the face of the planet because we number our years from the date of His birth. So, remind your Hindu friends of that. Remind your friends out there of that. Say, well, not everybody keeps the Roman Greco calendar. They will. (laughs) I mean, they like the American dollar. They will. Y'all in uh, Revelation 5? Revelation 5, verse 9 says, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. You can be in church all your life and not hear that you are a kingdom of priests. You can be in church all your life and hear that the Only people dressed a certain way are the priests. The Bible says you are priests. The Bible says you are saints. You can also be in church all your life and only hear that you're going to heaven. The Bible says you are a kingdom of priests and you will reign on the earth. Do you know why? Because Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom that we call heaven, is going to come from the third and highest place and envelop the earth so that God's dominion is recognized on the earth the same way as it is in heaven. That's why Jesus taught us to pray the way He did. My friends in Lafayette are very fond of quoting the Our Father. I am too. But we do need to know what it means. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed is Your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's already being done there. As you and I become obedient to the King, His will will be done here. The kingdom of God is being set up on earth. The book of Revelation teaches us that we will reign as a kingdom of priests with Jesus on earth. But again, that's not what we're talking about. So verse 11 says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor, glory and praise. Get verse 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praised and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Every creature in heaven, every creature on the earth, and every creature under the earth will sing praises to the Lamb of God because He purchased men 
to be a kingdom of priests for Himself to reign on the earth. Now, this is speaking of a future event. At present, Hebrews teaches us we don't see everything. Are you surprised to find out that in rush hour traffic on 610 in Houston, maybe last Thursday or Friday when there was a semi running over cars out there, not everybody was singing the praises of Jesus? Are you surprised at times in your life you're not always singing the praises of Jesus? Perfection has not yet arrived, friends. But we are eagerly anticipating it. We are, arri- we are waiting for its arrival because we know that it is a certainty that it will happen. But if everything in the heavens, everything on the earth, and everything under the earth praises the Lord, if everything recognizes Him, if everything will one day bow a knee, I wanted to look at some of the things in the heavens, some of the things on the earth, and some of the things under the earth that we might learn from. And I bet you never would have guessed what they're going to be. And I don't say that facetiously. Every once in a while I try to surprise you. Let me tell you that Psalm 19 says, actually, I'm not going to. I'm a, let's get into the things in the heavens. Let's start there. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, 1 Kings is, you start in the book of Genesis. You go to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. You go through First and Second Samuel and you arrive at First Kings. First Kings will be in the vicinity of page 396. Everything in heaven, everything on earth, and everything under the earth will bow with the name of Jesus. They will sing praises to His name. So what can we learn? You know, while y'all are turning there, Psalm 19 teaches us that the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Understand this. There is something about the heavens, something about the skies that pours forth speech day and night that all men of every language, of every nation, of every tribe, of every tongue understand. Now, we don't all choose to acknowledge it. But when you look at the heavens, when you look at the skies, there is something that the Bible says impacts everybody, regardless of education, regardless of language, regardless of ethnic background or nationality. When you look at the skies, there's something there to impact you. You could think that we're going to talk about the stellar realm then. You might think that we'd talk about the glory of the sun burning in all of its radiance, which Psalm 19 talks about. Or the the moon hanging out in a dark world reflecting the light of God onto the people. Right? Be beautiful. Now, it's not what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about something ugly, something nasty. Something most people would not associate with God in any way. Y'all in Kings 17? It says, Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from Tish. That makes sense. He's a Tishbite. So he's from Tish. Now Eric, from Sugarland, the Sugarlandite. Those of you that don't know, Sugarland is the Hebrew way to say the Promised Land. No, not really. But should have been. Now Elijah, the Tishbite. It may have been Katie, though, huh? I don't know. Maybe we can compromise. We'll call it purgatory and put it between Katie and Shirley. <laughs> now Elijah the Tishbite from Tish in Gilead said to Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, 
There will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> now think about this for a second because I didn't set this up very well and I apologize. Ahab is a king. And he's not a very good king. He's got a wife that runs him around like a dog and uh, tells him what to do. And, you know, he's old impact Henry, does exactly what she says to do, and it's always wrong. <laughs> and Elijah stands up to a whole nation and says, Man, you're wicked. You're wicked, and so unless I say so, there's not going to be rain. There's not a more devastating thing that could happen to a nation than drought. Now, I mean, it, it cancels the crops. It, it, it brings your nation to an absolute halt. The mighty United States, the superpower of the world, can only make it so long without a drop of rain falling. Because human beings can only go so long without drinking water, right? The biggest, strongest athlete, the world's Olympic powerlifting champion, not going to make it a week without water. So it does not matter what your strength is, without water you're not going to make it. Even Samson, Samson anointed by God, takes a jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. And right afterwards he says, Now must I die of thirst, Lord? God had to open up a rock so that he could drink it in Hakor. All of us need water, right? So it might tick you off just a little. We can say that in church, by the way. It might tick you off just a little bit if somebody took away all of your nation's water for a week. How about a month? Six months? A year? Seven years. Can you imagine? How tough would that be? And more than that, you can't blame it on Mother Nature. By the way, there is no Mother Nature. There's Father God. But in any case, you couldn't blame it on Mother Nature. You couldn't blame it on anything other than Elijah the Tishbite. Because he said, except in my word, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Are we talking about the buck stops here? I mean, this guy, he'd be more hunted than Osama bin Laden, right? So the word of the Lord comes to him and says, leave this place. <laughs> I encourage you if somebody wants to hurt you for the gospel if you can leave do so <laughs> <You know? laughs> leave here turn eastward and hide in the Kiriath ravine east of the Jordan you will drink from the brook and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there so he did what the Lord had told him he went to the Kiriath ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. So I want you to get this picture. The man Elijah stands up to the whole nation. Picture him. He's standing up to, uh, let's hope, George Bush in our nation. Although it would be more fitting if we picked another. But he stands up to George Bush and he says, except at my word, buddy, in all of the United States, no rain. Uh, by the way, the Lord told me to get out of here. So he runs off to the Kiriath Ravine where he's going to drink from a brook and what's going to feed him? Ravens. They're going to bring him bread. Have you ever seen a raven baking bread? No, me either. And they're going to bring him meat. Could that have been hard to accept? You know, have you ever wondered, how do I know when the Lord speaks to me? You know? You know if you listen. And you know what? Through constant practice, Hannah back there is learning to hear her parents' voice. She doesn't always get it right. But through training, she will eventually always get it right. So do all the children of God. This guy had been trained to hear the voice of God. He had been listening to the voice. He was waiting for God to speak. He was receptive to it so God could speak to it. That's very important because this is a message you wouldn't want to hear. 
Now, there's a lot of reasons you wouldn't want to hear it. When you think of a raven, do you think, I mean, does the uh, majesty and glory of an eagle come to mind? I mean, if I was going to be fed by something, I'd want it to be a big bald eagle, you know, bringing me a Big Mac and, you know, uh, cerveza. We know we don't do that. Uh, actually, we, yeah, I'd want something. Now, if you were a Jew, you had been taught since way before you were Judah's age that you could only eat certain things. And guess what? A raven was not one of them. Well, that's good news for the raven because if there's a drought and you've got to go feed a guy, you want to at least make sure he's not going to eat you, right? So the raven, he, he wouldn't have any problem being obedient to this. He knows the Jew can't eat him. But to the Jew, to receive food from the mouth of a raven, to any human being, I mean, can you imagine? You, you go down to Houston Zoo. You look in there to something that's like a vulture to you. You go, hey, 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 guys, can I have some food? I mean, how weird is that? That could cause you a problem. Leviticus 11.15 teaches us the ravens are unclean birds. Psalm 147, verse 9. Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. And you ought to leave the finger in First Kings. Psalms is in the middle of your Bible. It's the largest book in the Bible. So that makes it easier to find. It comprises more pages. And in Psalm 147 on page 701, we see this verse. Psalm 147, verse 9. He provides food. He hears God. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. This is Psalm 147, verse 9, on page 701. He provides food for the cattle and for the young ravens when they call. His pleasure is not in the strength of the horse, nor his delight in the legs of a man. The Lord delights in those who fear Him, who put their faith, who put their hope in His unfailing love. Who calls to Him and gets fed? The young ravens, it says. And who does the Lord delight in? Those who put their hope in His unfailing love. You and I are tempted to look at a raven and go, oh, yuck! Unclean bird! A Jew would be even more so. Oh my God, I have to do what? But the Lord delights in anybody who will put their hope in the Lord's love. This is a profound message to you. You know why? You are tempted many times to look at somebody and go, Him, Lord? Yuck. I'm clean. I don't like this about their life. I don't like that about their life. But the Lord is willing to use anyone, anyone who will put their hope in His unfailing love. And He does not require you to cease to be a raven. He will change you in the way that He sees fit. But to everyone else... You know what? When I was born again... It was a very strange thing for a lot of people. I was the kind of young man that did pretty much what I wanted to do. And it was very hard to change my mind. Um, so when I began to tell people about the love of the Lord, when I get, began to tell people about what God was doing in my life, they had a hard time accepting that because I looked like a raven to them. But for the first time in my life, I had begun to place my hope in His unfailing love. Still looked exactly the same. That's changed much since then. <laughs> what used to be up here is now down here. You know, what used to be under here is now on the sides here. You know, I mean, it's changing. 
But what I'm trying to say is that when we look at people, we put them in categories that are not fitting for the kingdom. You decide, oh my God, so-and-so has a problem with that. They can't be used. God can use even an unclean bird to feed His prophets when He wants to. Now, where, where do the birds fly? <laughs> they fly in the heavens. The Bible says that every creature in the heavens above, on the earth, and under the earth will uh, bow at, at the name of Jesus and will sing praises to the Lamb of God. That was the Scriptures that we started with, right? If every creature will do that, we need to learn from them. What could you learn from a raven? You could learn that although men are often unclean, the Bible in Leviticus 11.15 speaks of the raven, says not only is it unclean, it's detestable. When you are obedient to the voice of God, you become something that is beautiful. Because you know who learned to like ravens an awful lot? Elijah. Every morning and every evening. When I began this ministry, I had no idea where funds and things would come from. And I envisioned um, something totally different than what happened. You know what I began to find out? From the most unlikely of sources, God began to raise up provision for us. You know why? Because God cares greatly for those unlikely sources around the world. I found out that His favor does not reside on the neat and clean. It resides on those that need Him the most. You know why? You know why that's true? Because when you've been forgiven much, you love much. The problem is once you've been forgiven, you tend to forget. You tend to forget the depths from which you came and you start from your high and lofty mountain to look down on everybody around you. Shame on us as Christians. Shame on us for doing that. I'm going to learn the lesson from the raven. Any man, woman, child who will hear the voice of God and put their unfailing love in Him will be fed by Him and will be useful in His service. God fed those ravens. And the ravens fed Elijah. When you think about the church of the living God, I am plagued with this thought because I have no musical talent. God had to raise up Matthew who is you know, majestic like an eagle to come work with a, a worm. But he had to raise up Matthew to come help here. And Cassidy. And all of the, it's happened. And I'm thankful for that. But when I began to look at the history of the church, I found out we threw away the world's greatest musicians. Did you know that Jerry Lee Lewis was in a seminary and got kicked out? You know why he got kicked out? He's playing music that the church thought was unfitting. Did you know that... Uh, who sings Lucille and uh, Little, Richard. Little Richard was thrown out of a church for worshiping God on a piano. He was a young man who thought he might be called to ministry, but because he was not as macho as his father, he was distraught. He'd rather play with his sisters than some of the guys in the neighborhood. Hey, that doesn't make him a horrible human being. He goes and he's worshiping to God on a piano. The preacher hears the music, decides that it is unholy, looks at him and says, My God, this is a raven! throws him out. The father gave him such a beating that he left. He left home that day. Left church that day. You know who took him in? The homosexuals in a gay bar. Gay bar. We throw away people because we consider them to be ravens. Quit looking down on everybody that's different than you. God can use them. Anyone that will put their unfailing, their, their love, their hope in God's unfailing love can be used by God. Doesn't matter if they're 30, 40, 50, 
60, 70. Moses began his calling when he was 80 years old. People, you need to hear that. So what that you started walking with God before you were born? I mean, we are so holy. You've been in church all your life. God can use somebody in the 80th year of their life to change the shape of the world. It's important. It's very important. You know why? Holds out hope for people. Don't take away people's hope. So Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare, the skies proclaim. It pours forth speech day and night. Even the ravens understand it. They hear the voice of God and they're obedient. But what about on the earth below? Because remember, Psalm 33.5, which I didn't read to you, so I don't guess you would remember, says that the earth is full of the Lord's unfailing love. The skies have birds even that proclaim it. Well, the earth is full of God's unfailing love. In what way? He's given crops to you in season and out of season. He's reigned on the righteous and the unrighteous. He has taken care of you, though you may not have ever acknowledged Him. The earth is full of His unfailing love. Every time you have ever seen justice granted to someone, it was because of God. You wouldn't know what justice was if there was no God. The earth is full of Him. Well, let's look at some of the things on the earth that witness to us of God. Turn to Numbers. From here you can make a left. Start at Genesis. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. And we're going to be in Numbers 22, which is on page 175. Anybody ever picked on women drivers? No, never. Never heard such a thing. No, never. We're going to find a woman driver today in the Bible that not only knew where she was going, she was turning the way the Lord wanted her to turn. Anybody in here? No, not let's say anybody in here. Let's choose me. This would be a much easier example. You can all agree with it. Ever been called the jackass? Here in this neighborhood, a woman called me Pastor Jackass one time. I never saw that as a compliment. I never thought, oh, wow. When I grow up, I aspire to be a jackass. Never. Uh, it just was not an ideal that I held something to aspire to until today. Y'all in Numbers 22? The only thing worse than a donkey is that other, when people say a dumb... Right? Meaning a donkey that doesn't speak. Right? A dumb ass. It's when somebody, like a deaf and dumb, dumb, can't, incapable of reason. Let me read you about a donkey today, because donkeys live on the earth. And everything in the heavens above, and everything on the earth, and everything beneath the earth can teach you about God. So we're going to learn from a donkey today. <laughs> You're learning from a donkey in more ways than one, aren't you? <laughs> Now, I realize I haven't even taught this yet, so this joke may not make sense, but as it comes to me, I give it. You know, I can't help it. I heard this story of a preacher who taught on Balaam's donkey. This is a donkey in the Bible that actually speaks and, uh, because the Lord opened his mouth. And the whole thrust of the message was, if God can use a donkey, He can use anybody. And a woman came up afterwards and she said, Pastor, I never realized that God could use just any jackass until today. <laughs> preacher said, well, fantastic, ma'am. Then walked off and thought, what did she mean by that? <laughs> Are you all in Numbers 22? said, my God, he's cussing. I'm not. I'm reading the Bible. 
In uh, Numbers 22, verse 21, page 175, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword and in his hand, she, you got me? She turned off the road into a field. All you guys that pick on women drivers, here's a female donkey who knew the way to go. She wasn't about to run over the angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand. She turned where she was supposed to go. But like most men, let's see how Balaam reacts. How many of you guys like to get directions from your wife when you're lost? Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then the angel of the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, You have made a fool of me. Been funny if she had said, No, you made a fool of yourself, but she didn't. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, I am, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn, his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Say, Eric, what kind of craziness is this you're reading to me today? Elijah was fed by ravens. The ravens heard the voice of God and were obedient. Most people, when they hear the voice of God, turn on the TV. They turn on the radio. They go busy their life to avoid hearing what God's telling them because it's planted in you, the Bible says. It's already there and you have to drown it out. The ravens don't. They're obedient because they're fed by God and they put their hope in Him. This man did not see what God was putting in his life as obstacles. God was putting something there to get him to turn to the left or to the right, to change his direction. But the man couldn't see it. Instead, what did he do? He lashed out at the only woman in his life. And every husband can relate to that. You're frustrated at the office. You take it out on the wife at home. God put something in Balaam's life to get him to change direction, but he didn't see it. But you know who did? The donkey did. Now, I never aspired to be a donkey before. I never aspired to be a raven. But if a raven's going to hear the voice of God and though she's an unclean bird, go and do a noble task for God, I want to be like the raven. If the donkey that's normally considered to be a dumb, brute beast has eyes to see God and change direction based on what God's doing, I want to be like the donkey, not like the man. Everything in the heavens above, everything on the earth 
and everything beneath the earth witness of God well I kind of got the heavens and I got the earth donkeys work, walk on there but what's this beneath the earth stuff well let's turn to the book of Jonah Jonah's a hard book to find so I'm going to give you a page number and it's not hard because you're not familiar with it it's hard because it's only two pages in your Bible <laughs> you know you can find your way to the Minor Prophets. It's easy to get there. But you're going to be in uh, page 1029 in the Thompson chain. This is after Obadiah and before Micah in your Bible. We're going to read the fourth chapter. Now, whether ravens in the heavens or donkeys on the earth, we can learn about the Lord. You can learn from a raven that you're to be obedient to God's voice and you can, although you're unclean, be something beautiful. You can learn from a donkey that although there are obstacles in your way, your feet are getting crushed and all kinds of people are beating you for doing it, when you turn where God wants you to turn, you save your life and those that are lives, the lives of the people around you. Now think about that donkey for a minute while you're turning to Jonah. Think about this. Was the donkey rewarded for doing what was right? Now she saw an angel and she got beaten. Uh, then they go a little further, she sees the angel again, she gets beaten. They go a little further, she sees the angel, she responds appropriately, she gets beaten with a staff. Sometimes doing God's will is not an easy thing to do. Sometimes the very people that you're trying to protect their life abuse you because they don't understand. It's kind of like taking care of an Alzheimer's patient. They don't understand what's going on. They don't have the ability to see what you can see and comprehend what you can comprehend. So they think when you're trying to change their pants, you're trying to hurt them. They think that when you're trying to do something nice for them, you're trying to do something mean. So sometimes in the kingdom, when you're trying to do God's will for somebody, when you're trying to help them because you see something they don't see, they do what's natural and they beat you for it. But you know what? All of us were just like that. You know what the, do the donkey is a symbol of in the Bible? A human being. The donkey is synonymous with the spirit of a man in the Bible. When you study shadows and types from Genesis through Revelation, the donkey is usually the human being. Jesus came riding in on the donkey with a colt at the side. It's the Jews and the Gentiles. It's human beings. The glory of God resting on the shoulders of men. That, I mean, that's what it is. We're the donkeys. Now, that's good because we see, Right? Don't beat people around you that are trying to warn you about trouble in your life. And if you're being beaten for seeing something somebody else doesn't see, consider that the glory of God rests on your shoulders. That's what Peter tells you to do. Right? Okay, now we're under the earth. Everything in the heaven above, everything on the earth, and now everything under the earth. Jonah, the fourth chapter. We've got about 15 minutes, y'all, so hang in there with me. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee Tarshish. What's going on here is Jonah received a word from God that he didn't want to be obedient to. So he ran away. And I thought about using the whale in this example, but didn't. He ran away and God caused a storm to come up in Jonah's life. The people on the boat threw Jonah overboard from the boat the storm stopped. Usually, if you put a Christian in the center of a storm, it'll bring calm to the storm because the Bible says, and it doesn't matter that you're at fault, the Bible says that the righteous are a refuge in times of trouble. The problem is, those of us that are supposed to be righteous don't often apply the Bible. 
You should be a refuge to the people around you. On your street, when there's trouble, people should run to your house. That's, we're supposed to be that way. But moving on from there, Jonah hears this word from God. He doesn't want to be obedient to it. He gets on a boat. He goes the other direction. God provides trouble in his life so that he turns around. He's thrown over the side of a boat, then miraculously saved. He goes into this city that he didn't want to preach repentance to because they were mean people. He wanted God to smite them. You ever had anybody in your life that, you know, you didn't want to sit next to in church? You know, you were kind of hoping that they might reach the place of judgment because they'd been so hard to you? I'm the only one. Okay. Well, I mean, I've been there. But, praise God, I didn't stay there. So, he's thinking the Assyrians preach, uh, preach repentance? No, I don't think so. I'd rather see you burn them, God. God convinces him that he should go because he gets swallowed by a whale. But that story aside, now he's gone, he's preached repentance, and they received it. And Jonah is angry. He's angry. O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. He knows the same thing the ravens know, huh? A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O oh Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. That's pretty mad. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Why, did, why was Jonah in discomfort? He'd been in the belly of a fish. <laughs> he got puked up. You like that word, Judah? He got vomited up on the shore. I imagine his skin was not feeling too good. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. We all like it when God does nice things in our life, don't we? You know, we write books about it and sell them at Walmart, you know, and everybody rushes right out to buy it, how God wants you blessed. And God does. He wants you blessed. That's just not the whole story. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm. Who provided the worm? God. God provided a worm, which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that it grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from the left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Let me tell you what this is. Jonah didn't want to go because he didn't want him to receive repentance. He didn't want him to receive the kindness of the Lord because they'd been mean to Israel. So God gets him in a position where he has pretty much no choice but to go. But when he sees the repentance there, he's upset. Now, aside from Jonah, how did God change Jonah's mind? He provided for him a vine and he appointed a worm. Where do worms live? Beneath the earth. Things in the heavens, things on the earth, and things beneath the earth. And this worm had a very special task. He was to eat the vine to teach Jonah a lesson. 
that Jonah is concerned about temporal things that are here today and gone tomorrow, but was not concerned about 120,000 human beings. And Jonah learned the lesson. That's the whole point of the book. Now, if God can use a raven to hear God's voice, go be obedient, though he's unclean, though he probably won't be received well, though nobody would look forward to receiving food from a raven's mouth, the raven went in obedience. And therefore, it's considered glorious. If God can use a donkey that can see something that a man doesn't see and get beaten for it because she sees it so strongly, if God can use a worm to teach a man, if He can use things in the heavens, on the earth, and beneath the earth, surely, surely He can use us, right? So what do we have to do? We have to imitate the obedience of the raven. We have to imitate the sight of the donkey. The uh, believing and seeing it so strongly that you're willing to take a beating for it. And you have to imitate the worm. You have to be willing to be appointed. You have to recognize your day of appointment. See, God used worms He used donkeys and he used ravens. But his vehicle of choice, what he wants to use, is human beings. Every time he's ever used an animal in the Bible, it was because a man was not obedient. Why did God send ravens to feed Elijah? He couldn't find a man who would bring him the food. Why did God have to open the donkey's mouth to speak? Why did God have to open the donkey's eyes? Because the man wasn't hearing what God was telling him. Why did God have to appoint a worm here? Ravens, donkeys, and worms are not what God wants. He wants man. But the problem is man sometimes just doesn't see like we're supposed to. We don't hear like we're supposed to and we miss our day of appointment. What I want you to consider today is that today might be a day of appointment for you. This might be a day when you can tune your ears in to what God is trying to tell you in your life. This might be a day where like the donkey, your eyes can be opened that you might see that the events of your life have been trying to get you to turn to the left or to the right. The same guy that was fed by the raven stood up before all Israel and he said, Choose this day. Who will you serve? If Baal is God, if Satan is God, go serve him. But if God is God, then serve him and him only same choices before us and not just oh well I'm a Christian so I'm on the God side you make this choice every day when you know the good that you're supposed to do and then you debate about whether or not you do it you make this choice every day if you're in Christ live like you're in Christ don't let a a raven be more, more obedient than you don't let a donkey see better than you and sure don't let a worm recognize his high calling before you do yours if you're outside of Christ considering getting in you need to consider that there's great blessing. There's great reward for those that are obedient. But it's not an easy road and most aren't obedient. Wherever your situation is, whatever you need, you can learn something from the things that are in the heavens, the things that are on the earth, and the things that are under the earth. So stand up and let's pray.